global crisis. Bible prophecy. Health and preparedness. You're just in time. 11th Hour Dispatch. Father in heaven, we ask for your spirit to speak. We ask for a blessing upon this time that we have together as we open your word. Please teach us of your truth. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, your host, and this is normally a news broadcast where we break down the headlines of what's going on in our world and take a look at the Bible prophecies and how we can connect our faith with what's going on in our world. And we're taking a several week period of time to go through systematic th- systematically and study bible prophecy we are unlocking revelation is what the series is called unlock revelation now you may have heard of the navajo indians who during world war ii had a special job for the u.s military the u.s was engaged in various transmissions over the radio waves, and those transmissions could be intercepted, and so they would use code. And sometimes there were Japanese code breakers who would break the code and interpret the U.S. battle plans. And so the U.S. military then employed Navajo Indians to do the trick, and they would communicate over the radio airwaves what the different military bases wanted to say to each other, but the Japanese were totally befuddled. This was a mystery language to them. They had no idea how to speak it because only a few people in the world speak it. Now, that's an interesting anecdote to start out with. But really, when it comes to the Bible, the question is, is the Bible written in code? For many, it seems that way. When they study the prophecies, they're like, what, are, what is all the symbolism? I, I can't make any sense of this. It's mysterious. Well, this is not for God to try to make it confusing for us or obscure the truth from us. Not not so. God wants us to dig deep, to study deeply into the Word of God. When we study deeply into the Word of God, it improves our mind. It improves our, our brain capacity, actually, literally, in the frontal lobe. So there are tremendous benefits from seeking. And, in fact, Jeremiah says that we will—God says that you will seek me and search for me when you search for me when you, with all your heart. So you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. So that means we've got to go all in. It takes some digging. It takes some study to understand the Bible. But the book of Revelation, the very first sentence in Revelation 1 verse 1 says, The revelation of Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants things which must shortly take place. So it's meant to show us something. It's not meant to obscure the truth, which I've been told, many people used to say in, in my life, you're not supposed to be able to understand Revelation because it's filled with mysterious signs that nobody can interpret. That this is the book that you really, it's just kind of hands off. You don't try to understand it because there's a lot of crazy fanatics out there and fantastical interpretations. So let's just not try. But the opening sentence says, this book is meant to show us what must soon shortly take place. In fact, the word Revelation The Greek word apocalypsis means an unveiling. It means the revealing. So the very name of the book is, we're showing you something. God is revealing something, not obscuring something. The rest of the verse says, in Revelation 1 verse 1, it says, and he sent and signified it by his angel to his servant John. Signify 
You see the word sign in that word, S-I-G-N, signified, signified, if you will. The Greek here is semino, which means one of the meanings of that is express through signs or symbols. That's exactly what Revelation does. So Revelation is very clear. As you continue listening to these sessions, as we study the prophecies, it interprets itself. We don't have to go in search of some crazy interpretation of the Bible. Jesus said in Matthew, Matthew 24, regarding the book of Daniel, that he who reads it should understand. So that book, Daniel and Revelation, both have a statement made by Jesus that you are blessed and that you should read it and that you should understand it. Because listen to this in Revelation 1 verse 3. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy. So John in Revelation 1, Jesus actually speaking this through John, Revelation 1 verse 3, and Jesus spoke of Daniel in Matthew 24 saying, let the reader understand. Daniel and Revelation, let the reader understand. Blessed is he who reads and understands these prophecies. This is something special because not every book in the Bible gets a special reference, a special mention, a special admonition like that. I can only find two books in the Bible where there's an extra emphasis placed in the statement of, hey, read and understand this. You will be blessed if you read and listen to these words. So let's not get into this idea that these books are not to be studied. Far from it. John wrote this book to reveal Jesus. In Revelation 1, verse 7, he is revealed as the one who cometh with the clouds of heaven, the king, the conquering king, the coming savior. In verse 13, he's pictured as a high priest. In, in, in chapter 5, verses 5 and 6, he's pictured as the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. In Revelation 1, verse 5, it says that he has come to save us from our sins. He has washed us from our sins in his own blood. He's the, he's the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. He's the great high priest. He's the coming king. He's the savior. He is the one we adore in the book of Revelation. In fact, it also says he's the lion of the tribe of Judah over and over and over again. In Revelation 14, verse 7, it says that he is the judge and that he is the creator. It says, he says, the judgment has come and worship him who made heaven, the earth, and the sea. Over and over and over again, the book of Revelation points to Jesus Christ. He's the Alpha and the Omega. He's the beginning and the end. He's the bright and morning star. He's the one that lives and was dead and is alive forevermore. It's all throughout the book. So you wonder why we would start to get these messages of deception that are rooted in the father of lies, Satan himself, saying, don't study this book. Why? Because it reveals Jesus. That's why he doesn't want us to study this book. Now, of course, the doubter, the skeptic will say, okay, sure, you know, prophecy. Yeah, these are just claims about Jesus, that he's the savior and the king. And yeah, he's risen from the dead, really. So the skeptic scoffs at this, and they say, this is not real. This is just religious fiction beliefs. I'm going to share something with you that is very important for us to wrap our minds around. This is not just blind faith. When you place your faith and trust in the risen Lord Jesus, this is not something you're just stabbing at in the dark. We've got historical documents from Josephus to Tacitus to Pliny to all the way down from all the Roman historians, even Jewish historians writing in the first and second centuries and subsequent centuries, all of the contemporaries and extra-biblical sources say the same thing. None of them say there was no Jesus, there was no resurrection story. No, all of them confirm 
that there was a Jesus, that he was uh, he was killed on the cross under Pontius Pilate, that he had a brother named James. I mean, you get a lot of details out of these historical documents that confirm that Jesus' disciples claimed he had raised from the dead. So is the true is the story true? The story was clearly circulating in the first century. Christianity spread like wildfire. Everybody was believing it. Everybody who was adopting the Christian faith was believing in this resurrection. The Apostle Paul says that 500 people, in 1 Corinthians 15, he says 500 people saw the risen Christ when he was, had come out of the tomb. Now, that would be a pretty outlandish claim that would not gain any traction in this very serious scholarly community called the Jews who were converting to Christianity. They would have laughed Paul and the apostles off the block if this was all nonsense and made up. In fact, they wouldn't have laughed at them. They would have easily proven them wrong. When the 11 disciples and then Paul and these 500 people were running around saying, hey, Jesus is risen, they could have been proven wrong very easily. Because the skeptic could have just gone and pointed at the tomb and said, no, he's not. He's in there still. So there is a factual historical reality of a risen, a, a empty tomb. So if the tomb is empty, which it, it must be, or Christianity wouldn't have spread so fast, so quickly, with, uh, within a couple of decades, it's the largest minority religion in the Roman emperor, empire. And the Roman emperor, Nero, is uh, the Christians are giving him a headache because they're, they, they refuse to to honor Caesar as Lord, and so he blames the burning of Rome on Christians. This is just a couple of decades after Jesus' death and crucifixion resurrection. So this all happens like overnight, historically speaking. So there is an empty tomb, or it would have been debunked and never gotten off the ground. Christianity would not exist if there wasn't an empty tomb. So why is there an empty tomb? Well, the theory goes, the disciples must have somehow overcome a well-trained, well-armed garrison of Roman troops at the tomb, overthrown them all, rolled back the giant stone and stolen Jesus' dead body, and then lied about the whole thing. This is the most patently absurd, ridiculous theory because, first of all, it's impossible. But second of all, these guys went to their deaths claiming that they had seen the risen Lord. Nobody dies as a martyr, for something that they know is a lie and a hoax that they have nothing to gain from, by the way. These guys lost all their, their fortune, their family, their home. I mean, they were, they were missionaries who were threatened by the Roman powers, thrown into the, uh, the arenas, boiled in oil. I mean, all sorts of just crazy persecution for something that they know is a lie. I mean, in a court of law, a deathbed confession is considered to be conclusive testimony. When somebody's on their deathbed, they're not making things up. They're coming clean. So a deathbed statement is, is weighed very heavily in a court of law, almost clo- conclusive, open and shut, one deathbed confession. Here we have 11 deathbed confessions because all of the disciples literally were on death's doorstep with a gun to their head, so to speak, saying, recant, take this back. And they said, no. We saw the risen Lord. Jesus is risen. We will not take back our Christian faith. So we know for a fact that Jesus is risen from the dead or these guys would not have gone this route and Christianity would not have spread. And there's other outlandish theories like somehow the best torture masters and executioners in history, the Romans, did not succeed at killing Jesus. They put a giant spear in his side and then somehow he faked his death 
and ended up in a tomb, and they never knew that he actually was alive the whole time. And then he miraculously woke up. Woke up. These are the theories that scholars have to cook up because there just is no good uh, good explanation. And then he like crawled on his knees and elbows because he couldn't use his feet and hands with giant holes through them. And then rolled back the tomb stone and overpowered all those Roman soldiers. Not going to happen. So we know this is true. And the historical accounts, you know, of the spear and the Roman soldiers and the tomb and all of this, these are written in actual historical records, which are included in our Bible. Now, people will perceive that as, oh, that's just religious fiction then because it's in a religious book. No, no, no. The people that wrote these books, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, especially Luke, he was a very serious historian. And when people look at Luke's writings, when scholars look at Luke's history found in Luke and Acts, they say Luke was among the best, if not the best, at recording fastidiously in a detailed and systematic fashion historical events. Luke was an excellent scholar, historian, documentarian. He recorded the resurrection of Jesus, and it's not something you would normally question other than the fact that it's supernatural. So the scholars have to question it because the scholars don't believe in supernatural things and inspiration and resurrections. So you end up in a very precarious logical position if you want to deny the resurrection of Jesus Christ. We're going to get into the textual evidence of the Bible and how valid these ancient books are after the break. We'll be right back. You're listening to 11th Hour Dispatch with author, teacher, and speaker Scott Ritzmer. For more programs and information, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. What does it take to raise spiritually strong young people in our homes? Well, the George Barna research results are in. Parents who have had actual measurable success, who have raised their children to become solid Christian young adults, these parents took the lead. They took responsibility to disciple their children. They didn't leave it to the Christian school teacher or the youth pastor or the church school class. No, they themselves led their children to the Savior. Any parents with children in the home need to know this. Write down the DVD title and share it with them right away. It's called How to Raise the Remnant. Now more than ever, parents are in desperate need of solid biblical counsel to guide us back to God's plan for raising godly children in these last days. Visit 11thHourDispatch.com and use promo code RADIO for a reduced suggested donation rate. Wonderful, merciful Savior, precious Redeemer and friend, who would have thought that a lamb could rescue the soul? Of man. Oh, you rescue the souls of man. And we're back. This is 11th Hour Dispatch. I'm Scott Ritzema, and the website is 11thHourDispatch.com. We are taking a hiatus from covering the news to get into the prophecies that are the basis for our news analysis each day on 11th Hour Dispatch. And before the break, we were getting into the resurrection story as recorded in the Bible and in these historical books, 
written by, let's just take Luke as our example there, as I was mentioning, one of the best ancient historians of all time. Now, we've got these epistles written by Paul and Peter and James, and we've got Luke's histories in Luke and Acts. We've got Matthew, Mark. We've got John. Are these books provable? I mean, can we know that what we have in our Bible today is from an original source written at the time that it claims to have been written from. You know, people could have 500, 1,000 years later just faked things and put it in a Bible and said, look what happened 500 years ago. There was this man, Jesus, and they could make all this up, right? Well, we know that there are extra biblical sources proving that there was a Jesus, but how valid and proving that he died on the cross and they all agree on all of this and that the disciples claim he raised from the dead. But how valid are these documents from a historical standpoint? If we judge the merits of the New Testament the same as we judge the merits of other ancient documents and histories that were written by Roman historians and so on, the Bible the New Testament is the most well-attested document that, that, uh, of ancient literature, by far. Let me explain. A number of ancient Roman historians and Greek historians, we, we have some of their writings preserved. But the, the ancient, so-called ancient copies of these ancient writings that we have, on average, they, they actually date to about a thousand years after the original of that writing was penned by its author. So in other words, no, we don't have any of the original copies, like the man that actually wrote it originally. No, we don't have any of those of any ancient documents. But we have some copies that are from a long, long time ago. But with most ancient historical documents, the copies we have are about a thousand years removed from the original writing. So... You know, that opens up quite a bit of time for some alterations in the document. But historians trust the writings of Pliny and Theodides and Aristophanes and Livy, Tacitus, Aristotle, Plato, etc. All of these ancient writers, we have some of their writings preserved. And we have a few copies of these documents that are, that are quite old. We've got two copies of one, eight copies of another, ten copies of another, etc. We don't have like hundreds of copies of any ancient documents except Sophocles and Homer. And those are the only two ancient writers that we have. We have 49 of Aristotle, we have 193 of Sophocles, and we have 643 of Homer. So 643, we have a ton of copies of the ancient manuscripts of Homer's Iliad. Now, with most of these, we have so few copies that we can't actually attest to the accuracy of them. So we just assume that they're valid, and that is what the entirety of our understanding of history is based upon, is these ancient documents, and they corroborate with the archaeology, so you can do some corroboration to validate them. So history is solid on that, but we've got a handful of copies of ancient histories that were written a thousand years after the original writing. Now, compare that, and that's what we base the entire, all of our knowledge on ancient history on. Compare that with the Bible, the New Testament. We have manuscripts of New Testament books 
that date to within 100 years of the writing of the original. That is incredible by a historical standard. Remember, most of the other ancient documents we have were written down a thousand years after the original. They're copies of the original that were, you know, scribes had been copying and copying and copying over time. And the oldest ones we've got of most documents are a thousand years from the original. The oldest manuscripts of the New Testament that we have were less than a hundred years from the original writing. That is unbelievable historical credibility right there. Not to mention the fact that when you compare the manuscripts that we have of these, oh, and by the way, we have over 5,000 manuscripts, not two, not seven, not nine, not 10, not 193, not 643, no. 5,600 ancient manuscripts of the New Testament. And when you compare and contrast these ancient manuscripts, you find a 99.5% corroboration with these documents. So there are tiny little minor differences, 0.5%. Now that's of 5,600 different copies. It would be hard to pull in 5,600 people into a big arena and, and hand them all a handwritten document and tell them, write out a copy of this handwritten document, and then you collect 5,600 of them, you'll probably find about 0.5% discrepancy. That would be expected. In fact, you'd probably find more. So this is incredible accuracy. The Bible is the most well-attested ancient literature ever. It is so valid from a historical standpoint, looking at this through the lenses of historians, that it is it blows everything else out of the water. But historians pass it off and send it away because it's filled with Jesus, God, miracles, supernatural things, the resurrection of Christ. It's not fair. By the way, the Old Testament is validated as well. The Dead Sea Scrolls prove the prophecies to be true. Daniel was written hundreds of years before Christ, and he predicted the whole future of Western civilization, as we talked about on a previous broadcast. Even the archaeology is proving the validity of the Bible. And why all of this matters is because when we study these prophecies and we see these claims that Jesus is the coming king and Jesus is our high priest in heaven and Jesus is our savior and he died on the cross to save us from our sins, you know, all of these things sound like just religious claims to the secular mind. But no, these are validated in history. When you see in the archaeology, for example, that everything that secular scholars used to question and used to scoff at Christians about, they would say, oh yeah, we read about your Hittites. The Hittites, sure, they ever existed. And they would scoff at it. They'd say, the Hittites in the Bible are a mythical entity. They are a culture that never existed because we have no evidence in the history or the archaeology of ever seeing the Hittites. Or your King David, sure, they would scoff at us. You know, oh, come on, King David never existed. That's a silly uh, legend that was cooked up. Now, first of all, you've got the wrong culture. The Hebrew culture was not a myth-making culture. They were fastidious about facts. They were detailed about dates, names, events, locations, movements. The histories written in the Old Testament are serious histories. They don't come off as legend-making because they're not filled with ridiculous mythical creatures and things like that. So why scoff at the Hittites? Why scoff at King David? 
because the Bible was the only record of those until the archaeology started unearthing some of this recently, in recent decades. The Hittites were discovered. King, much evidence for King David was discovered. And everybody who used to scoff at that all of a sudden stopped scoffing at it because it's real history recorded in the Bible. There are entire university degrees that you can take on biblical archaeology because this is real, what you read in the Bible. Also, the, the, the incredible consistency of the Word of God, is just it, it, it proves its supernatural origin. There's enormous diversity. I mean, if you think about the Bible, it was written over 1,600 years of time with various different people living in different places, different writers, different personalities, and th- they all agree completely. And they, they weren't reading each other's notes necessarily. They were receiving this from inspiration from the Holy Spirit. 1,600 years. Amazing. And, you know, another thing that validates the Bible, particularly the history of ancient Israel, and, and even the New Testament with the heroes like Peter, heroes like David, normally if you're trying to prop up your kingdom and, and, and do some sort of propaganda piece to emphasize the amazingness of your, your heroes, you would never reveal their flaws. But the Gospels faithfully record Peter denying Christ. The Old Testament faithfully records the horrific sins of King David and many others. The Bible doesn't whitewash the history. It tells it like it is. That, that gives it tremendous credibility to me. One of the most important reasons, though, that we look to the Bible as inspiration, as something that we can trust, is the prophecies of the Messiah. When you look at the prophecies of Jesus, there were literally hundreds of prophecies that pointed to the first coming of Jesus. Micah 5 verse 2, for example, says he would be born in Bethlehem. Daniel said when Jesus would die exactly. The Bible predicted how he would die, that he would die between two criminals, that his, none of his bones would be broken, that his garments would be divided up and cast lots for, that he would be born of a virgin, etc. All these many, many very interesting uh, coincidences? No, there's no way there are coincidences. The, the, the mathematical probability of all of these prophecies of the Messiah being fulfilled in one man is impossible. It's, it's literally astronomical, the chances that, that you would have that. In fact, one mathematician named Peter Stoner calculated the chances of one man accidentally and uh, through happenstance fulfilling just eight of the hundreds of prophecies about the Messiah. He found that the chances of one man fulfilling just eight of these prophecies through coincidence is one in 10 to the 17th power. Now, 10 to the 17th power is 17 zeros. I mean, that's, a, that's an enormous, ridiculous number. I can't even comprehend what that is. It's, it's a one in 10 with 17 zeros behind it. Chance that somebody would fulfill these prophecies by accident. Let me give you a, a picture of how, how big this number is, okay? Let's say, have you ever driven through Texas? I mean, Texas is big. It takes forever. You look out your window from your car and you see endless endlessness and you're just on one ranch. You're just in one area and it just goes on forever. And then you drive and drive and drive and there's no end to Texas. Well, if you were to take silver dollars and lay them down on the ground and cover the entire state of Texas and mark one of those with an X, 
mark one of the silver dollars with an X. But then you don't stop there. You do a second layer on top of that first layer and a third and a fourth and a fifth. And you stack silver dollars across the state of Texas two feet high. And you have one in the entire state marked with an X. What are the chances you would find that one if you randomly plopped yourself somewhere in Texas and reached your hand down and grabbed one? That's the chances of one man fulfilling just eight of the prophecies about the Messiah. We know that Jesus is the Messiah. We know for a fact that the Bible changes lives, that Christianity transforms lives. We know that it's true historically, prophetically, archaeologically, mathematically. You can put your trust in Jesus as our Savior, as our soon-coming King. It's the reasonable thing to do. We'll see you next time. To financially support this broadcast, visit 11thHourDispatch.com. Here's Scott Ritzema with another final minute message. Excessive internet use, video gaming, and pornography are the reason that our young men are really falling by the wayside today and losing what it means to be a man. It's, it's not like a normal addiction. A normal addiction, you want more of the substance that you're addicted to. An alcoholic needs more alcohol. A cigarette smoker needs more nicotine. But a gaming addict, a user of games and pornography, needs something new and different and exciting, something novel. They are seeking things that we're supposed to be getting in the real world. They are seeking them in the game, going through a storyline. And really, in our real existence, in reality, there is a great story that we are a part of, isn't there? What we're doing is we get into this counterfeit story in the game. We know that there's a story, but we get diverted onto a false one. And it's just another distraction from the one true story. Brought to you by BeltofTruthMinistries.org.